Welcome to week number one in this series we're kicking off called about the book of James, a blueprint for making faith work. And this is something that we like to do with, uh, uh, on a, at least an annual basis, once a year that we cover a book of the Bible uh, instead of a topically how we typically do series here at Valley Christian Church, but we cover a book of the Bible once a year. So just think about that. Hang around for 66 years, we'll go through the entire Bible. And, and so uh, we're, we're doing that. We're looking at the book of James. And interestingly enough, the book of James, it's gritty. It's really practical. Uh, maybe you know a lot about the Bible, been a Christian for a long time. You may not know this. You may be surprised to find out the book of James, in terms of the New Testament books, is the second oldest book in the Bible. Second, the book of James was written before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, before the Gospels of Jesus Christ were recorded. And, and, and so it's pretty interesting. It's all about really gritty, where the rubber meets the road, practical Christian living. And that's why this is such a great title for our series, A Blueprint for Making Faith Work. In fact, uh, James has been referred to sometimes as Proverbs for the New Testament because there's so much wisdom uh, in this book, Practical Christian Living. And it's hard-hitting. Uh, the author of the book of James is the half-brother of Jesus, uh, which is pretty interesting when you think about that. We'll make that point a little bit uh, more clear in just a second. But uh, after uh, Joseph and Mary, after Jesus was born, obviously born of God and of Mary, uh, Joseph was, was not his natural father. God was. Uh, but Joseph and Mary, the Bible makes it real clear that they had other children. And James is one of those children. And so he's the half-brother of Jesus. And this week specifically, we want to start with the, the first chapter and go through kind of verse by verse as we kick off talking about trials and temptations trials and temptations and and let's start off by by talking about trials and I want to kind of get a feel for where everybody is uh, as we kick off this series uh, how many of you say I'm going through a trial right now let me just see your hand okay or maybe a test of some sort okay how many of you say my trial sitting right next to me <laughs> okay put your hand down you don't want to do that really uh, I see that hand you don't want to do that uh, but, but let's talk about trials because there's a difference. We're going to look at trials and temptations in this week number one. And there's a big difference between the two. And so let's start looking at trials. Here in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, uh, we're reading now. It says, James, a servant of God. Now let's stop right there. How would you introduce yourself if Jesus was your half-brother? We get so tied up in all kinds of titles and all this stuff. James could have said, the half-brother of Jesus. He could have said, I'm the guy, I hung out with JC when he was a little guy. <laughs> he, he could have said, he was the, actually the leader of the Church of Jerusalem. He could have said, the Apostle James. He could have said, the head honcho, the, the, the big bottle washer, the main bottle washer there in, in the Church of Jerusalem. But what does he say? Servant. I think there's a lot we can learn from that. Just those first few words. James, a servant of God. He's just a servant. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about this. He saw his brother grow up. What's pretty remarkable is this. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe that Jesus was God until he was crucified and resurrected from the dead. And when big brother walks through the wall after you've seen him killed, all of a sudden you believe. Th this is miraculous when you just think about this. That, that I, you know, James is saying, my older brother is the Christ. He's the Lord. 
He's God. Remarkable in the same family. My other brother, my older brother is God. I remember my older brother tried to convince me he was God one time. I didn't believe it, still don't. But it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings, and then here it is. Watch this. Consider it pure joy. Consider it joy, my brothers, so he's speaking to Christians, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it joy. Right there, we all of a sudden, we realize there's a different perspective as a Christian that we should have when we face difficulties and trials in our life. Consider it pure joy. That, that, that for a Christian, when we go through difficult times, it should mean something different in our life than it does to someone that doesn't know Christ. Consider it pure joy. Let me put it this way. Because of this different perspective that we're gonna discover tonight when it comes to trials, we can conclude this. God is more interested in your character than he is your comfort. God is much more interested in your character and my character than in our comfort. And if we're just keeping it real, how much of our prayers is really about, God, make me comfortable. God, do all you can so that I can stay the way that I am and never get stretched, never get pulled, never have to grow, never get stronger. Very different perspective. In Proverbs chapter 17, verse three, it says, the crucible of silver and the, uh, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. That's what a trial is. God is putting you and I to the test. And you know what? It's pass fail. It's pass fail. And so that's what trial is. It's, it's all about testing and it shows us what's inside of us or maybe what is not inside of us that should be inside of us. And so a few things about trials that we can learn as we just work our way through this first uh, part, this first section uh, in the book of James. First of all, real practically here, we need to recognize what's really going on. Recognize what's really going on when it comes to trials, when it comes to tests. You know, sometimes we get so focused on the test, the trial, that struggle that we find ourselves in, that we forget there's a lesson that we're supposed to be learning through all this. It's just like all we can see is that test, all we can see is that trial. Instead of asking the question, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? We need to recognize when we're faced with a test, when we're faced with a trial, what is it God's trying to show? Maybe he's saying, I want you to trust me more, Greg. Maybe he's saying, don't rely on your own experience and your own intelligence. Trust me. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. This is what I want. I want you to walk by faith, not by just what you can see. Recognize what's really going on. Again, here it is, James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. And it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith does what? Develops perseverance. You and I face tests and trials because God is developing perseverance in our lives. He's developing our faith. He's developing the Christ life inside of you and inside of me. You know, some people, but really honest, 
Some of us are trying to run away from the, the best school of character that God has on this planet. Do you know what it is? Our families. Our families. That there are some things that are learned in the school of home. That if you don't learn them in your family, you'll have to learn them somewhere else. And generally, it's a lot harder with other people. This, I'm very conscious of this. Is just in a few weeks, my wife Susie and I were taking not one daughter to college, but this year now two, dollar, two daughters to college. And we have one left home. This time next year, three daughters will be driving to college. And, and for our youngest daughter, I'll talk about her a little bit more in just a second, but for our youngest daughter who's just going to be home alone with mom and dad for the next year, her senior year in high school, we're just putting those finishing touches on her life, just polishing her up. And, and so family is one of the, the greatest schools of character that God has. Recognize what's really going on. Here, here's the second thing about trials that's so important based on the book of James. Cooperate with God's growth process. You know, when we don't cooperate, we make it a lot harder on ourselves. Cooperate with God's growth process. Look, it goes on. James chapter 1, verse 4. Continuing to, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. What does it take to be mature and complete from God's perspective? perseverance, that we can go through some stuff, not lacking anything. That's what God is ultimately after in your life and in my life as well, that we would be mature and complete. Let me put it this way. When it comes to trials, it's all about the perspective that we have. We need to cooperate with God in that process. I believe this. I've seen this in my own life. Hard, hard lesson to learn, but let me just share it with you. Maybe, uh, Maybe it'll help if you're facing a trial or soon you will be. Some of your trials, what you're going through right now, are actually answers to prayers you've prayed in the past. God, make me stronger. Make me more like Jesus. Give me patience. Give me more love. Do you know how you can tell if... Uh, if you're growing in love, when it becomes hard to love, that's when your love is growing. When it becomes challenging to love, that's how you're growing, not when it's easy. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So many times we pray and we, we ask God, God, would you, would you do this in my life? God, would you do this through me? And, and, and God's saying, in essence, if you want that, well, this is what it's going to take. If, if you want me to form that in your life, this is the way that it happens. So it's so important that we cooperate with God in the process. You know, there's a lot in the Scripture, and I know this isn't a real popular theme or topic to talk about, my job is to tell you what the Bible says and help us to apply it to our lives, not to recreate anything. The Bible talks a lot about the value of suffering. From a Christian perspective, there's incredible value in what we suffer, what we go through. The Bible doesn't say that when we receive Christ as our Savior, everything's going to be perfect and peaceful and wonderful for the rest of our lives. 
There's some stuff in our lives that, that God's got to get out, and there's some stuff in our lives that God wants to form and mold and shape, and many, many times that comes through suffering. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, it says this way, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. There it is again, just like trials. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. You, you can only have hope if you're going through something different. Nobody needs hope on a sunny day when everything's perfect. Nobody needs hope when the, when the marriage is just wonderful and we're dancing through the daisies and the bank account's full and the kids are happy and everything's great. No reason to hope. But it's when things are tough, when you're going through some stuff, when you're suffering, that's when you really need hope. Don't everyone shout amen at once. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, In this you greatly rejoice. Now it's not just rejoicing. This is greatly rejoice. What are we as Christians supposed to greatly rejoice in? For a little while you may have to have suffered grief in all kinds of trials. But greatly rejoice. Why? These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even through uh, perishes even though refined by fire may be proved genuine and may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed even though we have to suffer a little bit on this earth there is a greater good that God is doing in our lives through that suffering through those trials and so we need to recognize what's really going on and cooperate with God in the process it's so important that we cooperate with God in the process that God's leading us through. You know why that's so important? Because if we don't, we'll just go around the mountain one more time. We'll just, God will say, all right, I'm going to take a little step back, let Greg kind of get himself together, because I know he didn't learn the lesson this time, but, but three years down the road, <laughs> he's going to face it again. And generally, it's harder the next time, not easier. Just in my own life, talking about perseverance, when I was a teenager, one of the biggest regrets that I have is that I, I made a decision at one point in the difficult, difficult time in my life. You know what I decided? I decided to quit. And I just walked away in a huff. And God said, okay, Greg, but I'm not going to let you be a quitter. And so I had to face time and time and time, and I've had to face time and time and time again when I wanted to throw in the towel because of that lack of character that was formed in my life as a teenager when I wanted to quit. And God said, no, you're not going to be a quitter. And I've had so many times, are you kidding pastor in the same church for 25 years I've, I've wanted to quit about a thousand times it's so important that we cooperate with God in the process because if we don't we'll just go around the mountain one more time just in another circle here's the third thing about trials that's so important ask for God's help ask for God's help when you and I are faced with a trial when we're facing a test ask for God's help 
I love this verse, James chapter 1, verse 5. Next verse it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Now, now let me just uh, share a little bit personal. I, I love this verse. This, is a, this, this verse, James 1, 5, has a real personal uh, impact and place in my heart. And that's what, here it is. About a little over 17 years ago, 17 and a half years ago, I was doing some study. And just own personal private study for myself, or so I thought, on the subject of wisdom. And at the time... My, my, my wife was pregnant with our youngest daughter. And, and we had gone to get a sonogram, and we were going to name her Jordan Lindsay. I thought, that's just a beautiful name. has a nice ring to it. If it's, we knew it was a girl, Jordan Lindsay. But when we saw the sonogram, we went back in the waiting room to see the doctor after that. We're like, that name just doesn't fit that child we saw sloshing around in there on that, that, uh, that little sonogram. So I said, well, let's just think, let's just pray about it. I came out days later, I'm studying, and I'm studying this verse about wisdom. And I, I begin to look up every single word in this verse in the original language of the New Testament, which is Greek. Do you know what this word wisdom is in Greek? Sophia. It's the Greek word Sophia, S-O-P-H-I-A, Sophia. And man, I spent a day on that word, unpacking it, looking up every instance in the Bible when that word is used. And I came home and I said, Susie, I think I've come up with the name for this child. She said, what's that? I said, Sophia. And I told her what it meant. She said, yes. And so we changed and we decided to name her Sophia. And after my grandmother, whose name was Anel, which is a form of Anne, which means grace, so our, our youngest daughter, her name means wisdom and grace. She's something else, boy. <laughs> that name, I had no idea that God was saying, I want you to say a prayer every time you call her name. Because she's not like our oldest two. Our, our daughter, Michaela and Brooke, just so compliant, so just wonderful. Daddy would say, pick up your toys. Yes, Daddy. You know, whatever. Sophia. We had a hard time keeping clothes on the child, always running around, long hair. Well, have you ever seen Mowgli in Jungle Book? That was Sophia. And so it's like every time we say Sophia, it's like we're really saying, Sophia, we're asking God, give us wisdom. If anyone lacks Sophia, if any one of you lacks wisdom, we're like, God, wisdom. And I love her to death. Right now she's away. I'm going to be going to pick her up in Virginia tomorrow. But, and I miss her like crazy because she just stirs the pot all the time. If anyone lacks wisdom, if you lack Sophia, he should ask God. And watch what God, ask God for help. And we have asked God for help as parents of our three daughters. And I ask God for help as a husband. And I ask God for help as a, as a pastor. In fact, this is a great thing to just add to your every single day. God, give me wisdom. I need your help today because we don't know what trial we're going to face. We don't know what test may be just hours away from us, hours away from now. If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask of God, and look at what he's going to do. He'll give generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But you got to ask. Let them ask. 
Let them ask. Sophia. That means, think about this now, asking for God's help. That means that you and I, when we face a test or a trial, we actually determine how long that trial lasts. Wow. Do you realize that? You and I actually determine how long we're going to be walking through that trial based on when do we ask for his help. I, I believe God will let things come into our lives we can't get through without him because he wants us dependent upon him all the time. And so ask God for Sophia. Here's the fourth thing about trials that's important that we learn from James. Keep a good attitude. Keep, keep a good attitude. I, as a dad, I try to teach this to my girls all the time, to my kids. No one can make you have a bad attitude. No one can make you have a bad attitude. It's a choice you make. I can't force someone to have a bad attitude. It's the decision that that person makes. Keep a good attitude. Look at the next verse in James. James 1, verse 6. But when he asks for wisdom, for Sophia, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man. Well, God's not going to really help me. I'm asking, but he's not really going to help me. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. Unstable in all that he does. See, it requires faith. It requires faith. If anyone lacks wisdom, Sophia, let them ask of God, and he'll do it, but let them believe and not doubt. Keep the right attitude. And you know what? Those are really synonyms. Sometimes faith can be, be a real abstract thing to us, and we're like, well, what is faith? You know what faith is? It's the right attitude. Faith equals a good attitude. Having the right attitude, having the God perspective the right attitude on the situation that we're going through. And then drop down, verse 12, James chapter one, it says this, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So there's a huge, huge blessing as we go through trials if we'll just simply understand if we'll simply understand, recognize what's going on and cooperate with God in the process, ask God for help and keep a good attitude. And now that we've talked about trials, let's spend the rest of the time that we have together on this next little portion of James chapter one because they go hand in hand. And that is now, now James has incredible insights from God about what to do when we face temptation and what temptation's all about. Trials are something that we're all going to face. And you know what? Temptation is something every one of us faces as well. And so did Jesus, James' half-brother. And so what does James tell us? Wisdom that we need to know as we face temptations. Here's the first thing. Recognize the source of temptation. Recognize where temptation comes from. What's the source of temptation? Verse 13, James chapter 1, next verse. When tempted... It doesn't say if, notice that. It doesn't say if you're ever tempted. It says when you're tempted. Again, none of us are immune to temptation. None of us are. If you say, oh, I, I'm immune to temptation, I can't be tempted anymore, guess what? You're being tempted to lie, and you're doing it right now. So, so when tempted, no one can say God is tempting me. So God is not the tempter. Very important. God will allow trials to come into our lives, 
God will allow tests to come in our lives, but he does not tempt us to sin. Scripture's real clear about that. When tempted, no one, no one should say, God has tempted me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God is not the one who tempts us. So recognize the source. First of all, it's not God. God's not the one that's tempting us. That's the first thing we need to understand about temptation. Here's the second thing. Understand the process of temptation. There's a process. There are steps in temptation. And I want to read this next passage, and then I just want to really explain what's being said here. Because James, again, the Holy Spirit is speaking to him and through him to you and to me, and to the original uh, hearers of this great epistle that he wrote. This is God's word, the book of James in the New Testament. And, and gives him incredible insight into this step-by-step process of temptation. Look at what it says, James chapter 1, verse 14. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire. Temptation starts on the inside. By his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So this is the process of temptation right here in these two verses, James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And so let me just kind of explain this a little bit. Here's the first step. First of all, there's temptation. The first thing is temptation. That, that there's something that we see, and we start like this. Hmm. Wonder what that's all about. And here's the second step in temptation. Kind of catches our eye, and here's the second step, fantasy. It goes like this. Then we start thinking about, I wonder what that feels like. I wonder what that tastes like. I wonder what it would be like and feel like. Just a little bit, won't hurt anybody. Fantasy, we begin to imagine What's that going to be like? I've never experienced that, but I'd like to experience it. I'd like to try it. So we're tempted, and then we begin to fantasize about it in our mind. And then we begin moving towards sin, like, I'm going to try it. I'm going to do this. Just once, won't hurt anybody. And then it actually is the action of sin. Then it's actually when we do it, we commit the sin. But it begins way up in here. And it always begins with something inside of us that's not exactly right. And then finally, we continue in that sin and it leads to death. Death of relationships. Death of dreams. Death of marriages. Sometimes even physical death. There's nothing new under the sun. The things that people were tempted with 2,000 years ago, same things that we're tempted with as well. It starts with something inside of us. It's the, it's the desire that's inside of us. And we begin to just play that over. I wonder what that would feel like. I wonder what that would be like. And then we begin to move towards it and continue more and more thinking about then the act of sin and then death itself. And so that's the, the process you know one thing that I've, I've discovered that works really, really well when you're being tempted by something, by sin? 
instead of just looking at what that thing is that you're wondering, hmm, I wonder what that tastes like, feel like, be like, wonder what that experience would, would, would just, how that would actually be if I lived there and did that. Magnify the consequences of sin. When you're facing temptation, magnify the consequences of sin. When I feel tempted, you know what? Instead of I wonder what that would feel like, so you know what? I, I like to think like this. I wonder what it would be like to have to look my wife in the eyes and tell her what I did. I wonder what it would be like to have to call a family meeting and look my three daughters in the face and say, this is how daddy failed you. This is how daddy let you down. This is how daddy shattered everything you thought he was. I think about standing in front of this church and telling you I've got to step down because I'm no longer qualified to be your pastor. You know what? That helps me say no to temptation. When you're faced with temptation, magnify what the consequences are really helps you to see not just what the, the pleasure is for the moment, but what the consequences are for a lifetime. Here's the third thing. Learn how to overcome temptation. We can learn how to overcome temptation. Verse 16 of James 1. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift comes from, gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. You know what that's saying there? It's like God wants to give you the way of escape that you can resist temptation and you can get out of it and you don't have to be captured in the trap of sin. Learn how to overcome temptation boy this is a this next verse I want to share with you this is great refrigerator material write out the verse put it on the refrigerator for your family 1 Corinthians 10 13 this is just an awesome promise here no temptation has seized you except what is common to man every single human being and God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Did you catch that? That God won't let something come into your life and into my life that is beyond what we can overcome with his help and his grace. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But you, uh, when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You know, things that, that, that may tempt me are not the things that may tempt you. All of us have different vulnerabilities. And we need to understand what our vulnerabilities are, and then we need to recognize God has provided a way of escape for us. We don't have to sin. He's provided a way, a way out so that we can stand up under it. Three real practical points, and these aren't, this isn't on the, the PowerPoint, but just, just three practical things, to, wisdom to share. Uh, first of all, avoid harmful influences. There are just some places, you know, because of things that we are easily tempted with, there are some places we just don't need to go. There's some things that, that we just don't need to be just, just hanging around, doing a whole lot of nothing. There's some things that we just need to avoid, harmful influences. Second thing is just counter temptations with God's word. That's what Jesus did when he was tempted. When, when Satan tempted Jesus, what did he do? It is written. It is written. 
whenever I have uh, been in a situation as a pastor, when someone's coming to me and they're like, I failed, this is what I did. I, I tend to ask a couple of questions just to get a better uh, feel for things. And I've, I've, I've had to sit down with pastors that have failed. And I ask this question. Let me ask you a question. How much time were you spending in God's word when this happened? Not at all. I was just writing sermons. How much time in prayer? Not at all. Counter temptation with God's word. Develop healthy relationships. That's why community groups are such a big deal here at Valley Christian Church, small groups. Because it's so important that people really know who we are and they know the stuff that we're facing. They know the struggles that we're facing and they can pray for us and they can also hold us accountable. Let me put it this way. If you're the only one that knows your secrets, you're in trouble. You are in trouble. If you're the only person or if it's even just your spouse and they're the only ones that know all the struggles that you have inside, you are in trouble. You can't do it on your own. You need to open up to, not everybody, but a few people that you can share what the struggle is and they can encourage you and they can hold you accountable as well. And this is the fourth thing when it comes to facing temptation. Fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. It's just amazing. The closer, it doesn't mean we're immune to temptation, but it just seems like the pull of temptation becomes less the more we're in love with Jesus. Verse 18 of James chapter 1. He chose to give birth to us by giving us, by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Sometimes I've got to remind myself of that. When I start feeling down and less than and I feel even more vulnerable to, to temptation and sin, wait a minute. I'm God's prized possession. I'm not junk. I'm not garbage. I'm not dirty. God ransomed heaven for me. And I'm beautiful and I'm precious in his sight. And so are you. Fall in love with Jesus. You say, well, Greg, that sounds kind of weird. Listen, August 18th, my wife Susie and I will be celebrating 25 years of marriage. We've been in love for 29 years. You know what I've discovered? The more I love my wife, the less I feel tempted by other women. I don't have time. They can't turn my head. I don't need nothing that somebody else has got. When I'm just head over heels in love with my wife. If the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence, here's a word of wisdom, water your own grass. Because <laughs> you know what may be on the other side of the fence? AstroTurf. Plastic and fake. <laughs> and, and it's the same thing with marriage. It's the same thing with marriage. It's the same thing with Jesus as it is with marriage. The more you fall in love with Jesus, it doesn't end, it never goes away, but it just seems like 
the hooks don't sink in as easily. Talked about this last week. I want to end with this verse, John 14, 15. Jesus put it this way. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. The more that we love, the easier it becomes to follow his commandments. And so what I'd say right now as we conclude this message, this first message in the book of James is this. Let's learn the wisdom that God has given to us in his word in this first chapter of James. And more than that, let's, let's live it. Let's live it. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word that, that is sharper than a two-edged sword and it is real and powerful today as it has ever been. Father, help us. We need wisdom. We need wisdom, Lord, as we face temptation. We need wisdom also, Lord, the right perspective, the right attitude as we face tests and trials. Thank you for your word that sets us up on the path of overcoming temptation and persevering through trials. When we look to you for strength and we walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, may we deepen our relationship and our love for you and for your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we don't have time to look to the left or the right as we fall daily deeper in love with Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.